Cyril. What a beauty! G'day community and welcome to a brand new Supercoach podcast from Jock Reynolds. My name is Damo. Joining me is Baron. How are you going, mate? I'm very good today. Thank you for having me. And Clarky, how are you? Doing very well. It's nice to make uh, my debut for 23. Yes, first podcast for 2023. Happy New Year to all the community. Hopefully... (laughs) Let's not try. Let, let's not try and say that word. Um, speaking of avoiding words, we're talking about players that we're avoiding this podcast, as well as going to make some pretty wild predictions for the year ahead as well. We'll we'll, we'll start in defence, and I'll and I'll go first. I'm of I'm going to avoid Jack Sinclair, the most expensive defender at the moment, uh, six hundred and twenty six thousand two hundred, with a new coach. Potential new game plan, potentially a new suite of players who could dominate the Supercoach scene with Ross Lyon in charge. I'm not paying $626,000 for someone who I don't know is going to continue the role he had in the previous season. Yeah, I'm very much in the same boat with you. And I think, you know, the new coach aspect is probably something that we're going to touch on a few different times for this uh, avoidance list because we don't really know what St Kilda are going to be doing for the foreseeable future. Um, paying top dollar for a defender as well. Um, that money's definitely better used probably, I would say, in the midfield. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I know, I know Leck won't start a defender if they're over $550,000. He said a few times that he might have to break that rule because he understands that that could potentially leave him behind if someone is going to be 100% a top 10 or top four pick in their position. Um, so I guess it kind of ham, I guess it kind of hamstrings you if you don't, if you don't pick someone in that sort of price range, but you know that they're going to go top four, top six, top eight as in their p- position, Baron, who are you avoiding in the de- in, in in defence? I will be avoiding uh, Jordan Dawson at the moment, and this is purely based on him being moved out of defence and onto a wing. So he won't get the intercept type marks. He won't get the the uh, kickouts. He won't get um, those sort of lucrative point sources. He could still score well being on the wing, and he'll probably add some more goal kicking to his game to make up for that. But six hundred grand, it's it's the sort of thing where again, I think with any of these, especially defenders, I always feel like that are above six hundred thousand, you may lose out points. A little bit of points, less than the midfield, certainly, if you don't pick them. But the 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 value that can plummet in a defender going down 10, 15 points in their average is pretty big. Um, so you could still end up with them in your team later on, but you can pick them up for 500k, 550k if they have a little bit of a down patch, you know. So that's why I'll be avoiding him to start with. 
See, that's interesting because a lot of people have Jordan Dawson locked into their side, not wary of that move to the wing because that's where he kind of broke out at Sydney and what made him so attractive to Adelaide in in the in the first place. So we've sh- so he's shown that he has the capacity to score well in a wing type role. But you do you, so, but you think him moving out of the defence in on, and onto the wing or into the midfield could lower his average enough for you to avoid him. It all it takes is maybe five or six points, and then you're looking at someone who is priced at the moment at six hundred thousand, who you could pick up later for five hundred. So it's not in the grand scheme of things. You would still say, "Hey, this guy's going to average one hundred and five. I'll lock him in as a D seven or something for the year." But it's more of a, a a later in the season type pickup for me rather than a starting one. Just quickly going around the room, we're all avoiding Shannon Hearn. Yes. Yep. Oh, we don't yeah. need to say why. Yeah, dude's old. Uh, Aaron Hall. Are we avoiding Aaron Hall? I don't want to start anyone with a significant injury history. I think this year, I think I really have suffered in the past by taking those punts. So I kind of, I think that there are better options or perceivably in January, 2023, there are perceivably safer options um, for Aaron uh, rather than Aaron Hall. My only thing with him would probably be if I'm going to pick him, I would start with him and I would ride him until he probably inevitably gets hurt. And then once that happens, he's crossed off the list for the rest of the year. So maybe you pick him at the start and you might get nine, 10 weeks out of him. And that's, that's a win for him to play 10 weeks of football without getting hurt. So I would start him. If I'm not starting him, then I'm not considering him at all through the year because as Clarky said, he's probably going to get injured and you don't want to waste trades, bringing him in, trading him out. Da, 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 da. So, And he's another one with the new coach factor as well. We don't know how Clarkson's going to use him um, and he might not be in defense in, in, in Clarkson's regime. He, he could go to the wing. He could move to the forward line. Clarkson has all these images in his head of how a perfect team works and we don't know where all those pieces fit. So we don't know where some of these I don't want to say fringe North Melbourne players, but Aaron Hall hasn't played enough games to really have cemented himself in that team for them. Where they're going to end, where they're going to end up if if they do make their way into the best twenty-two. So, uh, while we're on North Melbourne, I think exactly what you're saying as far as they have the factor as well for Clarkson, where whatever they were doing last year did not work at all which I would say they've probably chosen Clarkson because he can go in there and sort of start fresh using the pieces that they have. So that 100%, I I would struggle to pick maybe outside of about two or three North Melbourne players, um, anyone to cement into my side. Two players I'm going to sort of put together as one entity. Caleb Daniel and Jordan Ridley were both selected and disappointed people, really. Jordan Ridley, with Brad Scott in charge now, what role will he have? He was he was sort of required to become a key defender that didn't roll off, didn't peel off his opponent towards the end of the year because of all the injuries that they had to all their key stocks. Who know, And so who knows what sort of role Brad Scott wants for him this season and Brad Scott has said that he's still working out what sort of team he wants Essendon to play like 
what what sort of strategy he wants to see on field. So that that automatically brings up red flags for pretty much any Essendon player. Um, so right. I'm kind of avoiding yeah. Essendon players unless they're rookies at the, at the moment. Um, and Caleb Daniel, with the departure of Lockie Hunter, Caleb Daniel has played games where he has spent a lot of time on the wing and it has affected his score. I know late in 2020, obviously a different kind of season, but to the last four or five games of the season, Caleb Daniel did move it up the ground a bit more to allow their defense to have a different sort of look to see if they could change the tide of their season. So I can see Caleb Daniel being one of those players that is moved out of defense. Um, and both of those players, I'm just, I'm just not really thinking about starting at all to begin the season. It's interesting you brought up 2020 for Caleb Daniel because it instantly springs into my mind Jake Lloyd who had that same sort of 2020 bump um, and his was much, much higher than than Daniel's was. But if you look at his overall averages, like he went up to 101 that year, which is eight points and 10 points difference between his two years afterwards. So maybe you should think with Daniel the same way we think with Lloyd now, where that season is a statistical anomaly that's not going to be hit again. So you, now you need to look at his last two years as the normal, so a 90 average rather than a 100-plus average for him. Um, so the only way I would maybe consider him is if you're going super, super penny-pinching on your defensive line and you say 500 is my cap for my D1 and maybe my D2, and then Ridley and Caleb both fit into that realm but as you said with Ridley it's it's hard to tell um and this is going to be the same for every team that has a new coach until we see some preseason games and unfortunately I think we only get one preseason game now too which makes it even harder to sort of judge these players in new teams and where they'll play and what they'll do yeah and only one preseason game officially which means we could actually see some proper lineups in the in, in this one official game to see how teams are going to line up Rather, so, rather than the experimentation that yeah, is usually happens, certainly less time across the two games, and and not selecting a squad of twenty eight or whatever they do, where they sort of bring on six new guys at halftime just to see what the hell happens, you know. Yeah. So it definitely will make that one game much more important, I think, just to sort of make the final decisions on your team. So it would be a lot of speculation for the moment, but until we see some more action, but. We'll stick in defence just quickly because we did put it out to the the Twitter sphere to see who else people were avoiding. Cam, who people may know from the Draft Doctors podcast, he's also does Game Day Squad, which is a, which is kind of like a virtual trading cards, which you should all get involved with. It's all very fun. He's avoiding Tom Stewart, and I asked him for an explanation on this one because most people have Tom Stewart locked in as a non-negotiable starting player for them. But he didn't like his roles in the latter stages of the year, and he cites Mitch Duncan being moved as his reason. Um, he does say it's just a hunch so far, but does Duncan affect Tom Stewart all that much? I struggle to think of a Geelong defensive line that doesn't use Tom Stewart for what he's best at. It's not like, I mean, Tom Stewart, you know, super coach-wise had a very good season last year, you know, a top three defender, which, you know, I think, what, at the start of 22, he was 
somewhere in the top 10 or maybe just outside. I think it was definitely top 10. Someone feel free to correct me. Um, I, I just don't, I, I don't think that they would move too many pieces around on a year where they were so successful. Like where's, where's the benefit of moving him around? But that being said, um, he's in that price bracket where you can kind of account for if he's only going to drop, you know, maybe five points off his entire average is not ideal, but you'd still be able to live with that, uh, or maintain. So it's, it's hard to tell. It's a question of, I think whether if everyone's going to have Tom Stewart, then that mitigates some of the risk of selecting him. It's not like he's an outlier, so in the in terms of the large structure of Geelong, I think he's kind of integral to how they get the ball out of their defensive half. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully he doesn't go around uh, knock, knocking out Richmond players this season either. So hopefully that score won't be something we have to worry about. Like when you look when he came back from round 20, including the finals, like 112 is his highest score, which was that round 20 game he came back. And then he's got 48, 98, 106, 102, and then a 89 and a 63 in the grand final. Like, that's definitely makes you go, oh, geez, that could be a little bit of a worry there. Um, I don't think he would totally crater out in terms of, oh, he's going to average 90 or something like that with Mitch Duncan and, and maybe Jack Bowes in that defensive line with him. But I can sort of, yeah, I can see that thinking of, hey, maybe this is one I need to pause on even for a month or two weeks and then do a swap later on just to see where he, where he ends up. I, I've looked at a lot of finals trends for scoring and I've noticed that the finals are a very different game. Mm-hmm. You see players stand up that haven't previously during the season. So you'll see someone average. Let's let's say they play in they 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 play in an elimination final, then a semi final, and and then a and 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 then a prelim, and they score one hundred and ten, one hundred and twenty five, and then one hundred and eighteen. That that player then starts the season at three hundred thirty seven k. Everyone selects them, and they average sixty again. And then you get players that average 110 throughout the whole season, get into the finals, and then in the finals they go 72, 80, 91. Like, some players just aren't required to go as hard as they do during the season, during the finals, because players, because other players around them come up to the occasion. So maybe that was why Tom Stewart had that, low end to the season where he sort of didn't need to do all the work because other players were coming up to the occasion. But it is something to definitely think about where other teams have also worked out how to tag him out of games. St. Kilda did a really good job of it. Brett Ratton worked out how to how to shut down Tom Stewart. Um, Fremantle worked out how to shut down Tom Stewart in the only game that they play. Yes, he scored like 140 points or whatever it was, but he was a non-factor in the game. All of his disposals, all of his possessions were were, were useless to, to Geelong to win the game. Um, so, I think I think teams are working out how to nullify Tom Stewart's influence, and that doesn't necessarily affect his output in a super coach sense, but it nullif- but, but it, it it means that. 
Chris Scott is forced to move him around to try and get him out of the clamps, to try and remove him from the, from the clamps of, op- of the opposition. One thing to consider too in those two final games where he got like 15 possessions, like the Cats won both games by like 70, 80, 90 points. So it's certainly a scenario where maybe the ball just wasn't in the area all that much for him to score well. But it's, it's certainly good points you raise in terms of he is, you could argue, the most dangerous player for Geelong when he's firing. And so, you know, when you go in for your pregame strategy session, he would probably be the one of the first two. They go, this is the guy we need to worry about. Sure. We'll move on to the midfield now. We'll... You kind of have to scroll a little bit before you find anyone who you really want to avoid. Zach Merritt, obviously. <laughs> I don't think – I think Zach Merritt is fairly safe. I think what you pick is what you get. He's not going to change too much in what he gives you. Um, Darcy Parrish might be one that moves around depending on how Brad Scott wants to structure it. But, again, he's another one who probably – he's probably a bit expensive based on what he could produce, but – He's another one who, if you pick him, you're pretty confident he's going to play 22 games and add two, f- two, three or four points onto his average. Uh, Jack Steele, everyone's picking him. I, I'm not quite sure if I'm as on board for him as others, but I'm not avoiding him, and that doesn't. And so he could eventually find his way into my team. Um, but I am worried about the fact that Ross Lyon loves his tacklers either in front of the ball or behind the ball, meaning that there could be could be a, a, a slight dip in his midfield numbers. Uh, first player I'm avoiding in the midfield is Josh Kelly. Clarky, you want you like talking oh, about Josh Kelly. Yeah. I saw you. I saw your head turn. You look in the camera at a man who has been burnt before. Yeah, he's on my avoid list. Um, <clears throat> it's another case as well of, as we've been talking, the new the new coach analysis. So, Taranto goes. Hopper goes. Which means that the midfield is now sort of freed up for guys like Josh Kelly, Tom Green, Stephen Canigliog. Yes, no. Does the new coach help him though? That's... Because 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 Leon Cameron moved players around within games, whereas Adam Kingsley comes from a Richmond comes comes from a from comes from the Richmond football program, where they would play players a certain plan for the entire year. Nothing really changed throughout the year. In fact, the biggest change I think they've done over the last three years is moving Jaden Short into the midfield. And you could argue that didn't really work out for them in the end because he eventually moved back and then more or less just played a bit part role because Daniel Rioli had moved into his role then they had, and then they had people move into the midfield role. And he was more surplus to what they needed. He was more of a, It was more like a cherry on top for what they had sort of built rather than an integral piece anymore. Um, whereas I think Adam Kingsley will want to settle on a team, settle on a structure, settle on a position for all of his players, which makes 
the GWS players a little more attractive. Some of them more attractive than others, and some not attractive at all. Um, but a little more attractive. I think it's it's a question of really that and that will probably only be answered at the sort of really start of the season and maybe even a couple of rounds where the midfield group for GWS is still quite there's some really good names in sort of their top mids like Josh Kelly super coach wise obviously being the top of there but Stephen Cornelio has been when he's allowed to play his best footy has been great Tom Green is emerging you've got Perryman Whitfield is getting mid minutes at points you've got Callan Ward you've got Lockie Ash is also just waiting for some opportunity to run through the mids as well I kind of at this stage put Josh Kelly in the same basket as uh, an Angus Brayshaw, where there is absolutely upside to the selection, but is it the most pertinent selection to make at that price point? So he's 582. Would you not just be better paying a little bit more in your starting team and just getting Andrew Brayshaw? Or taking a punt on somebody who is possibly more value and significantly, or not significantly, but cheaper, like... Um, at the moment, my first draft has included Luke Davies Uniac. Um, you know, there's there's opportunities. Sort of, he's really awkwardly priced for a premium player. Most of the obvious selections in the midfields, you're not going to avoid them. You're going to pick them for the reasons mm. that that you research. There's not a lot of wrong ways to go in the midfield. There are some players that you sort of need an explanation as to why you've picked them, but there's no one really in the midfield in that above 500k that if someone picks them, you're going to go, now why the hell have you chosen this guy into your team? Do you know he's going to do this? You you sort of go, that's interesting. Why have you chosen this guy? And, and And I guess that's how I feel about a lot of these players. But I mean, you look at a player like, Brad Crouch. Did you guys know he averaged 103.7 last year? I didn't know that until I just looked then. I'm not avoiding him, but I mean, who knows how he's going to be in that Ross Lyon midfield. Um, it's that, Most it's of that it known... for me is it's, it's not that I'm not picking a certain player. I'm just, I have another player that I prefer over them. It's kind of a no man's land as well of if my my thing is if we get to round 23 and you tell me Ollie Wines is a top 10 mid I would be like huh that tracks like that's that was always a possibility like it's not it's I completely agree with both of you it's these aren't people necessarily that you're avoiding for any particular reason they're just people who you have other options I mean I am avoiding Jaden Short if he had retained defense eligibility, I may have considered him again, even though I hated owning him towards the latter half of last season. But I'm not thinking about selecting him purely because he's lost. He, he, he's, he's lost that. Um, Bailey Smith, he just, just missed dual position eligibility, just missed um, being able to be selected as a forward. But... With no Josh Dunkley, he could potentially fill a void for them in that midfield, and he's also he's also far and away one of their best runners as well. With meaning he could sit on the outside, move into the inside, a little bit like Lucky Hunter. 
Um, he could step into that Lockie Hunter role, play a little bit of that Josh Dunkley role, play a little bit of play, just be another cog in that midfield the way Dunkley was, and so that puts him in that that part of discussions where is he going to add ten points to his average? He very well could. I'm not. That doesn't mean I'm not selecting him. There's upside to him, but there's also downside to him because we don't know how Luke Beveridge is going to cover the losses of Lockie Hunter and Josh Dunkley. I guess the thing for Smith, though, is like if you look at the CBA attendances, and that's not the greatest way to sort of gauge midfield time because it's a one-set play, you know, at the centre bounce. But he averaged more centre bounce attendances than Dunkley for the year. And then if you look at the highest one, so he, Bailey Smith sat at 54% for the year of CBA attendances. Non-Ruckman for the, the Bulldogs, Jack McRae at 64% was their highest for the year. So you think maybe, well, if that kind of tracks that 65%, maybe 70% is the top tier percentage of someone getting that pure centre bounce midfield time, then he might not have a huge scope to improve because he's already at 54%. Um, and he was already there more than Dunkley. So you might look at, hey, maybe Trelaw might get a bit more because he had a, a few stretches of games where he wasn't getting a whole lot of midfield time. So maybe it's just more of a Trelaw for Dunkley swap rather than um, Bailey Smith filling a void that was there, you know? I I definitely I definitely agree with where you guys are coming from from that. Um, I would like to throw out a name that I have just been scrolling through uh, a name that might might be slightly 50-50 controversial, but I reserve the right to change this when by season start. Um, I think I'll be avoiding Ben Cunnington. Ooh. He's very attractively priced, but he's still in a box for me that's too much of, okay, well, yes, he's a great footballer, but what does New North look like? How much game time has he actually had? He played two matches in 2022. So where's he going to be at fitness and um, like, you know, team space wise. And at 419, I'd probably rather go higher or go lower for that price point. 419 is a very awkward price. Uh, We've had success in that sort of price range though. I mean, uh, I think it was Joe Danner. No, he was two hundred seventy-three. We've we've had we've had um, we've had p- p- people have achieved things by picking players in that price range before, especially in the forward line where he's also eligible to be selected. It's just a matter of age, fitness. Is he ready for the rigors of AFL football? Where does he fit in the in the Clarko scheme? Of, of how he wants North Melbourne to look. I 100% agree. I I was going to talk about him in the forward line. I Sorry, but, um, no, man. <laughs> no, that's all right. But 100%, yeah. I, I'm, I, I think across, what, fifth, let's say he plays at least 15 games. I think fifth, fifth, in 15 games, he will average 102 maybe – maybe 105, which puts him in the top three forward conversation. But can you trust him to play all 22 games? I can't. That doesn't mean he won't. It just means I can't. 
Yeah, and it's and it's nothing to do with any of his preparation or anything like that. I think we can all safely agree that Ben Cunnington's return to football and continuance within football as a whole has been nothing short of inspirational. Um, but I think, yeah, for just from a, a purely super coach perspective, you know, okay, cool. If he averages 102, that's great. He earns some value. Um, but you're paying up, like you're, you're looking for a huge return on investment for that price point. If we quickly slide across to the Twitter replies again, Sundog is avoiding Lockie Whitfield. Is Lockie Whitfield in the Giants' plans for this season? I mean, they were trying to trade him during the trade period. They I were mean, trying to get they were trying to get some return for him. So they obviously don't uh, they obviously don't value him all that much. What's his uh, contract like? Is that more of a um, like fuck? We've still got this guy for four more years, and we've got troubles coming up cap wise. Maybe we should get rid of him now and kind of. Uh, avoid that uh, Collingwood situation where you're giving him up for peanuts because every team knows like you can't keep this guy beyond next year or is it more of a like yeah this guy's best is behind him and we don't see him as being a, a best 22 lock for us anymore I mean it, it could be a bit of column A and a bit of column B there yeah um I think they definitely weren't going to trade him for just anything they had to get an offer that that they liked but I also think they've paid too much for something that they're not getting. Because mm-hmm. cause they've got a few guys like that, like Canelio, who got his huge deal, Kelly, who got his huge deal. Um, you know, you, you, you make the deal at the time and you do what you got to do to keep guys, but it could be two, three years down the track where it's suddenly not the, the best thing you've ever done. Um, yeah, so he got a seven-year deal when he signed. So he's there till 2027 so that's four more years on his contract so i could certainly understand them saying just from a a salary cap perspective that's and depending on how it's loaded too if it's loaded that back-ended so hard that well this guy's making a million and a half dollars in his last year or something that's pure speculation on my part because i have no idea how they would do that that's not public information (laughs) but you could certainly understand from a, a perspective of let's get out of this deal why we have some control when it's not all out there. So, yeah, that's a tough one because he has been a good player in the past and he could certainly bounce back this year and, and continue that sort of form. For sure. Let's move into the ruck line. And um, we don't have set and forget this year, so it's kind of like avoid everyone and no one at the same time, keep your options open, select who fires. Yeah, that's the line that I've just got no real idea who I'll look at. Maybe I'll go English again because he was fairly solid. A um, little bit of injury problems, but I mean, most rucks do. Uh, I did consider Darcy, but then I've got no idea how Luke Jackson is going to impact that whole thing, um, which, Damo, you probably do have a bit of a better idea. I'd avoid Darcy, but I don't hate the look. If you the selection if you want to choose Luke Jackson. Okay. I can see Luke Jackson averaging 95. So that puts him in top 10. So that puts him in, so, so that puts him in top 10 for at least the forward line. Yep. So what so what if you had Jackson and Darcy Cameron together? 
both uh, they both mm-hmm. ninety five averaging ruckmen can swap them between each other. That could potentially be a strategy you think about, but it's not one I'm I am game to try out. It's one I'm saying I, I don't hate the selection, and I might talk myself into it eventually. You might have just talked me into it. Actually, I didn't even think of that one, but no. I, now you're I thinking with portals, see the value in it. Baron, talk to me about Riley O'Brien. Should we be avoiding Riley O'Brien? Um, he's a yeah, he's a good enough kind of ruckman. Like you can't expect him to suddenly bust out a big hundred and forty, maybe, but he'll be solid to get a ninety-five, a hundred most games, and you don't need to worry about um, oh, someone else might come behind him. Like he's got that ruck spot locked down fairly solid and they will find any excuse to keep him in that spot regardless of how um anyone plays in the sample just having a look at his end of the year because i'm pretty sure he came back after being dropped for kieran strawn mm-hmm. and totally blew the roof off the place yeah, I think that was like 175 he got. Yeah, and that was so, after he he had that game in the sand for where he did something ridiculous, like got 30 disposals so, and 80 hitouts. And... He, so he was dropped for round 9 and 10. Yeah. And then came back, and in, and in the last 11 games, he went 175, 78, 97, 127, 127, 106, 53, 101, 46, 110, 80, 160. Yeah. And it's he's one of those players as well where, you know, they've talked about maybe moving Tillthorpe into the ruck a bit more, but he's so – sounds like I'm being a prick talking about him, but he's so useless outside of a ruck contest that you can't really, like, give guys big minutes as a as a sort of backup ruck because you have to bench him. You can't really put him anywhere else on the field. Like, like a Luke Jackson, you know, you can rotate him mid-forward, ruck forward, you know. And he can do well in both positions, but that's not something that O'Brien can do. So basically the only minutes he's not in the ruck is when he needs a breather, not because we've moved him forward to um, give him give him a rest. And, oh, he might provide a different look for us up forward. The look up forward he provides is shithouse. While we're on the subject of uh, rotating rucks, uh, speaking of like Jackson and Darcy, what Gorn and Grundy? I'm avoiding Gorn, but I might consider Grundy. Yeah, I I don't mind the Grundy selection, but I but Gorn kind of at 622k frightens me a little bit, and you're probably in the same camp here as well, Clarky, with this. At 512k, taking a flyer on Grundy, he averaged 103.5 over six games. Let's say here on the average is 110 at 512k. You've taken a flyer on someone who's probably who's probably going to hold their value. That's not too bad, but but you take a but you pick up Max Gordon for 622k. He goes from 113 average back down to 105 average. You're losing about 100k. The the issue with Max Gorn is going to rely solely on what their ruck split time looks between them. So if Gorn is forward more, he is a very good mark of the ball. 
they use him both ahead of and behind the ball. So there is an opportunity that he could also be doing intercept marking. Does he maintain 113 average? I think that is a massive coin flip, but I would say he's going to go unders than that. Um, Brody Grundy has, for lack of a better term, he has less versatility than Gorn in terms of position. So I think they will want to predominantly use Grundy within the mid, um, within that core center bounce ruck unit, um, without sort of having any information on what they're currently training. Like I'm sure, you know, obviously in the off season, that's something that they can work on with him because he's a professional athlete, but you know. And Gorn, as you say, has more of the capacity to play the role that Luke Jackson was playing ahead of the ball, on the wing, behind the ball. He could even attend the same center bounce at, as Grundy if he really wanted to. I, I, that would I, be a I, crazy I, look, wouldn't it? I would lose my shit. That would be crazy, but it could be an, it, it, it could be a thing that happens it could just be how it could just be one day they get their rotations wrong and they have to put grundy and gorn in, in, in the same sense center center bounce who who knows if you look yeah. at the uh, center bounce numbers here so gorn 66% uh jackson was 36% so do you think that could be a swap like grundy will go 66% and gorn's 36 and then in that rest of the time gorn's forward back and there's still a lot of questions that I have as as a Melbourne supporter about how our team is going to look for 23. We've got, like, I, I've gone in my head through versions that are include the idea of Melbourne have two separate midfield core groups. One of them includes, like, Grundy, Petrarca, and Oliver as, like, the main big boy one and then you've got the backup one where it's like, all right, everyone needs a rest. All right, send on Gorn, Sparrow, and James Jordan, and those are your mids. To it could it could honestly be as simple as a fifty fifty split. Like when you need to rest Grundy, they're going to train him and they're going to go just go forward and clunk a mark and then handball it to Cozzy if you can't kick it. <laughs> like that's you know it could be as simple as that. Um, there's more. There's a lot of value, I think, in considering Grundy. Um, not so much. I will be avoiding Gorn, which hurts every fiber of who I am as a person. I mean, if there is one set of players that I am avoiding, it is all of the GWS Ruckman. All of them. Doesn't matter. Oh, if you're what Bruce, are you going to Matt, Matt Flynn? Does it? Doesn't matter if you're Matt Flynn. Doesn't matter if you're Kieran Briggs. Doesn't matter if you're Nick Madden. Doesn't matter if you're. Wade Dirksen, can you select him as a Ruckman? I can't, haven't scrolled down that far yet. No, you can't. I just don't know who is going to get the nod as their number one. What what injury is going to prevent Braden Proust from once again debuting as a number one Ruck? Maybe he gets suspended in out of the preseason game. Who, who, yeah. who, who knows? He could run through someone by accident. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. That's that's a good avoid. That's a good avoid. And the other one that I'm avoiding is I don't think this needs any explanation. Reese Stanley. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. I'm avoiding Reese Stanley. I've been seeing a lot of people with the Lloyd Meek selection now, Damo. I know you probably know a bit more background wise of. Meek and how he may fit into the Hawthorne group could be something you can give some insight on. 
it all comes down to what kind of split, and this is another one that might have have a split. What is this split with Ned Reeves with Ned Reeves going to look like? We could see five or six teams with variable ruck splits. You've got Darcy and Jackson. You've got Gorn and Grundy. Uh, you've got Reeves and Meek uh, at. At Collingwood, you could have Cameron and Cox or Cameron and McStay. At Essendon, you could have Draper and Brian or Draper and Wright. At um, at North Melbourne, Goldstein, Cherry, Coleman Jones, Edwards, Combin, whoever the, whoever the hell is going to be playing. There could be five or six teams with variable ruck splits and... Who knows what St. Kilda's going to do early in the season with Max King out with that shoulder issue? Could Marshall be actually playing forward? And could Tom Campbell be their main ruckman until Max King returns? Tom Campbell is your main ruckman. (laughs) Damo is just scared every single... I'm going to have nightmares tonight. Yeah, and Barron. (laughs) Hey, when, um, when Aaron Sandlands went down at Fremantle... And we didn't have Kepler Bradley because he did his ACL. We had Zach Clark and Jonathan Griffin splitting time. That 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 was that that, that was disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it it worked, but it was disgusting. <laughs> it's not stupid if it works. Let's move to the forward line. Another thing that's not stupid if it works. Uh, who are we avoiding in the forward line? Anyone in particular, guys? Uh, Tim Taranto for mine. You're avoiding Ooh, Tim Taranto. Yes. Okay, I need an explanation. Um, I'm loaded. I don't. I don't think he's a good super coach player. It's nothing to do with his ability as a player, and it's nothing to do with how I think he will or won't fit in at Richmond. Just that he's that type of player where he could get 38 touches and score a 90. Like I don't know how he does it and why it happens. I've picked him before, and he's had good games, and he just does not score well. So, and when I say well, I mean well for the game he has statistically doesn't translate to Supercoach. It's fine for AFL Fantasy where we're just going off raw numbers, but Supercoach it never seems to work for me. So priced at an average of 91.4, you don't think at the very least he could add 10 points onto, onto, onto his average? He might, but... Again, if I'm picking between Rosie and Taranto, I'm going to go for Rosie. I've got both. Um... <laughs> oh, la di da. <laughs> no, I think that's um, that's a really good point. I think I I generally feel like Richmond as a team, apart from I think maybe Jaden Short. Richmond as a team for super like super coach high value targets, they're kind of near the bottom of like the teams that I think of where I'm like, all right, I want someone who's going to score me 120, you know, like between 100 and 120. I'm going to go not to Richmond. <laughs> well, well, that's the th- an- another thing about, I guess about GWS as well. Adam Kingsley was the midfield coach at Richmond which was arguably the least super coach relevant part of their team. So how does that translate to head, to head coaching? How does that, and does him moving to GWS mean that Richmond now become 
more Supercoach relevant with someone else in charge of that engine room? Does that mean the Giants then become the least Supercoach relevant team in the AFL? I mean, generally, I think the thing about Richmond was that their game plan entirely as a team wasn't conducive to high super coach scoring. Um, great on-field results, but I, I wouldn't say necessarily it was just the mids, but I also see a point, and we should hit the panic button on all GWS players, particularly the mids. I guess it, it might be from a, a pure number point of view, because again, like Richmond are a team that usually they would run a fair few players rotating around the midfield, you know, because you got like someone like Bolton who would do a maybe a 50-50 split, Dustin Martin, uh, Jaden Shaw got at it in there. You got uh, Jack Graham still who spent a little bit of time in there. So it probably depends on, um, was that um, a Kingsley idea that, hey, we're going to rotate numbers through here? Or is that something he's been told to do um, by Hardwick? Um, and then, how does that apply to GWS too? Does 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 Kingsley Kingsley say um, to start with at GWS? Hey, we've got five guys because we're learning. I'm going to rely on these five guys because it's hard to teach a group of maybe eight or nine or ten players in one off season what to do. You know, so you say we're going to pump all this information to these five guys because they're veterans and I know they'll pick it up. And then next year maybe we start to mix some more in. I just realised Dane Zorko can be selected as a forward. Yeah, he yeah, didn't play much um, midfield time, I don't think. I think I had him at 20% he played at centre bounce attendances last year. So he was one they definitely moved out quite a bit, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm avoiding him. I don't know how his body's <laughs> going to be. I don't know if his Achilles is going to blow up. His Achilles could blow up at any moment. His, his temper could blow up at any moment. He could say something horrible to someone again and get rubbed out for six to eight weeks. Who, 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 who knows? Avoiding Dane Zorko. Sure, um, Clarkie is also in the same boat. I'm not allowed to say the words that I can think about Dane Zorko right now. Right, it's going to take at least a season to get to Let's get those. move Moving forward on, on. I'm pretty much avoiding any forward that's under... Between between two hundred, just over two hundred and four hundred, I don't really have any. Like Sam Wiedemann, yeah, cool. I'm definitely avoiding him, although he could be rucking in the forwards at Essendon. He's a better ruckman than he is a forward. I've I've seen people rule this player out, and I've also seen people completely lose their mind over this player and had to pick him first moment the team picker opened. Toby Green. What sort of role is he going to have at the Giants? Is he going to be totally forward? Is he going to add to their midfield mix? Or is he going to play that Shy Bolton role where he plays 50-50 and he has games where he scores 127 and then games where he scores 27? I feel like Toby Green is the AFL equivalent of a bard where I think just having him on the field makes them a little bit better overall. I don't I don't see him as a he's an avoid for me just cuz I just don't see it as like a, a sustainable 
scoring option. Um, and I think you're right, Damien. People are either really hot on him or completely non-plus. Uh, I'm just trying to find his price now because I think that's the... He's that's 421000 on the dot. Yeah. No, I guess not, if you look at it too, like his upside isn't there, even historically. Um, sorry, someone's just come into the room. Um, like last four years was 93, 83, 90, and 76. So it's not like you could say, hey, this guy's a classic premium who's fallen on hard times. He's never sort of been that premium. So if you're considering what are you to- trying to buy, I guess, is what I'm saying, you know? If you're considering Toby Green, to be honest, I would save 2K and pick Ben Cunnington, but I'm avoiding both of them. And at least I, for Ben Cunnington, you that. could argue that, hey, he's averaged over 100 before. And if he could get back to that, then that's a worthy selection. Whereas Green, you know, like he's never been at that level. Jesse Hogan averaged more than Toby Green last year. If really? I'm correct. Not much, but I think that is correct. Uh, which I think, uh, yeah, so it says, says what you need to say. I would avoid him completely. Oh, yeah, he did. He averaged 84.2, Jesse Hogan. So more than just a bit. That was a good, like, uh, eight points better. There you go. Pick Jesse Hogan instead of Toby Green <laughs> is basically what I'm saying. We're gonna we're gonna do one of those like weird headlines where like Clarky says Jesse Hogan is better than Toby Green. Clarky D three Harry Himmelberg. <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll institutionalize me. Um I think yeah. The other one that I there is one that I'm gonna stay away from. Uh and it's it's gonna sound weird. Uh but I'm definitely not considering Jeremy Cameron uh, or Tom Hawkins. <laughs> well, Tom Hawkins is going to miss the beginning of the season because he's recently had, was it back surgery that he, that, that, that he had? It, was he added to the list of players that was having a back surgery or was, or was it the inflamed foot that was the issue there? Anyway, well, he, for me yeah. has always been one where like I won't start with him, but there's a very good chance. I think maybe the last two or three years he's ended up in my final side because oh. at round 15 or 16, he's been sitting there for 480K maybe. And I'm like, well, that's all I have money for or I'm trying to save some money for a- another trade elsewhere. And I'll go, hey, I'll take that 90 average. So well, for, Tom for Hawkins total points, Tom, his... Tom Hawkins is always yeah, at he's, the top. He's very consistent, but I've just, Never started with him, but I think I've usually ended up with him in my final side. So I'll probably do the same again this year as well. You were right, Damo. Uh, Hawkins set to have surgery on his foot injury. Okay, um, so it's a foot injury. But I think with the, the Tom Hawkins, it's kind of a, is it a parabola where it does like the kind of like a dip and then comes back. I think there's just like patches in the middle of the season where you kind of got to buy low on Tom Hawkins mm-hmm. and then he shoots right back up. Uh, and that's that's when you need to grab him. So I think that's what I did last year, and I think I'll be avoiding him to start this year because of that. Yeah, I mean, you avoid him to begin with because he's not going to play round yeah, one. Yeah, also that. But he's definitely someone who you could target as an upgrade target, as as, as an upgrade option, because he is going to lose price, He is, but he is going to probably be average in the top, sort of 10 averaging for the season as long as he sort of keeps his keep keeps his uh doesn't drop off a cliff let's make some wild predictions can be super coach predictions can be predictions for the season 
Tom Hickey to play 20 games. Okay. And what is Tom Hickey average? Uh, <laughs> I think the last couple of years has been significantly less than 20. I think he only played 13 last year. So, and I think the year before that, he also had an injury, which meant I think he was somewhere in the 15 to 18 range. Cool. But, but, but what does he score? What, 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 what's his average score? His average, the, the he's priced at an average of 84.6. Uh, looking at his past, I had it open and I, now I don't have it open. I'm chasing what you think he's going to average for 2023. I think then he's going to use it against you later in the season. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, uh, I think he could average it at least 95. Okay. So you think he's going to add about 10 points on? Yeah. I think, I think adding 10 points to his average wouldn't be outlandish. Okay. Baron, what's your wild prediction? Um, so we've been doing a lot of, you know, back and forths on GWS in the midfield. So this man is currently locked in as my M6. So I'm going to say Harry Perryman is going to average between 108 and 110 for the year. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I really that, that makes like me feel that. fuzzy. I feel warm and fuzzy inside <laughs> just hearing that. Good for him. Damo, what's your outlandish prediction? I don't know if it's as outlandish as I think it is. <laughs> Go on. I think Jai Newcomb can, can add 30 points onto his average being the main man in the Hawthorne points. midfield. So that would so that would boost him to a hundred and sixteen average. Ooh, that's what would that put him last year? One hundred and sixteen average. That's maybe pushing top five. Top five. Damo thinks Jai Nukum is going to be top five. Send out the papers. Get the, <laughs> get the boys on the street that scream extra extra. I don't. I don't necessarily hate that. I think Hawthorne. I think people are going to expect Hawthorne to do a lot worse than they probably will in reality. Without Tom Mitchell and that changing that core group, because there's no Jaeger anymore, is there? So they have an opportunity now, I think, to just give the keys to, you know, the Newcombs, the Warples, the, you know, God, name another Hawthorne midfielder off the top of your head. But they've got really exciting opportunity to build something special i think dylan moore is another one from hawthorne who i think could benefit from that sort of he'll he'll spend a bit more time in the midfield like he did towards the end of the season for them um he's a bit more of a more difficult pick because he's like 520k so but what's newcomb at he's in the 350 range probably is he so joy newcomb is four hundred and seventy-eight thousand, average 86.9 across 22 games that's yeah. uh, that's 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 you're you're pushing for like a really good finish if you pick him and that comes off. I think. Yeah, I mean, right now he is in my team because I feel like he's going to be a real beneficiary of that void of significance. And we all know that Sam Mitchell loves him from his time at Box Hill. What would you say though? So again, I'm looking at the center bounce numbers. He was the number one center bounce attendee for Hawthorne last year. Would that change your opinion at all or just irrelevant? 
irrelevant for me. Irrelevant. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think he'll play well with Carl Amon? Yeah, I mean, Carl Amon has has been recruited to play on the wing. Okay, fair enough. There you go. It, it, it's Carl Carl Amon's um, recruitment has has sort of meant that John Newcomb can focus on playing in the midfield for most of the for most of the time. Pre, but previously we would find him ahead of the ball when they needed a rotation. Now there's not so much of that needed with Carl Amon and even Cooper Stevens now at the, at, at at the club. I mean, it's not an outlandish pick in that there will be someone from Hawthorne who definitely improves because Mitchell and O'Meara and those guys aren't there. So it's just a matter of who and how much, whether it be Newcomb and 30 points. Uh, not sure if he'll go that high. That's that's a lot to improve in one year. But to say he'll be better next year scoring-wise is an absolutely like logical thing to say, I think. Yeah, I, I I kind of regret saying thirty points, but I I think right. he's going to I think no, he's going to I think he's going to push the envelope for, to being a top for being a top ten midfielder. Uh, I think he's going to be in that blanket that you can kind of put over five to fit to fifteen when you open Supercoach next. So season. a top ten would be around one hundred and ten for the year. So much like I've said with Perryman, sort of. Yeah, I mean. This isn't outlandish, but um, I think someone, I think someone else from the Giants is is going to is going to fill that chasm, and that's Tom Green. But that's a popular, but that's a popular opinion among most people. So I can't call it outlandish, but that's another one of my predictions. Because it's still January, I'll also put out one of my most outlandish selections, uh, pending what his role will be uh, at GWS. Also uh, this year, I am very hot on Harry Himmelberg. I wasn't kidding earlier when I said he is my current D3. Um, I think 2022 really showed what he could do as anything other than a forward, and it was a lot better. Um, I think arguably you could say it was looking a lot better for GWS when he was sort of moving through the defensive line and through the midfield rotations. Do, do you think he'll be like, you know, we were saying with, Tom, Tom Stewart earlier where he's like I remember in 2012 when you know Brent Riley looked amazing sort of playing as a floating interceptor across halfback and towards maybe round 17 18 teams had worked out hey this guy's really dangerous back there so he's a target do you think Himmelberg could possibly face that where teams know he could be the most dangerous player on the field for him in that position like we were saying with Stewart, and then that's going to impact his scores. I I sort of see him, and that's this is also the downside to him, is that he has a lot more utility. So I see him more in like an Angus Brayshaw um, kind of role. So Angus Brayshaw was moved out of the midfield group to become a winger and then ended up at halfback last year when Christian Salem was injured and continued there. Harry Himmelberg, I think, can kind of bring different aspects of his marking ability and interceptability to different points on the ground, which is what was making him really successful. So I think if they're going to focus down on anyone in those areas, possibly it could be Himmelberg, but as we've been saying, their midfield group is consistent of, you know, some absolute jets who probably require the attention first. Mm-hmm. Do you think he continues in defense? 
I think it's a possibility. I, I don't okay. think that like that's that's my big asterisk on actually selecting him will be what does this final team actually look like? Um, it wouldn't surprise me as well if he ended up forward uh, again, but they have made strides to sort of set up their forward line. So he's not necessarily needed in the forward line. Yeah, they've got Riccardi, they've got Hogan, they drafted Aaron Cadman, they picked up Wade Dirksen in the mid-season draft. They do have the bodies to allow Himmelberg to remain in defence, but it'll all come down to, again, how the new coach wants to see his team set up. Lads, we've been talking for a long time. We should probably wrap things up. Clarky, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, and I look forward to commencing the mailbag very soon mailbag launches next week with ben from supercoach insider if you haven't heard of supercoach insider i recommend jumping on some of their pre-season content they've got podcasts where they go through the defense the forward line the midfield and the ruck line all very interesting discussions they've ben tells me unstructured they just turned on their microphones and started talking and but what they talk about really really makes you think about a few things that you maybe haven't thought about before. And I and I'm not going to lie, it's, it, it's made me lock in some of my selections and rethink some of my selections. But um, they they've got some really good Supercoach minds there at Supercoach Insider. Ben, Chris, Swizz, they all have different points that they bring up, and they're all really good points to consider when selecting your teams across each line. You can either listen to all four of their podcasts or just whatever line you, you probably need some help with or want to see what the discussion is about. But yes, mailbag launches next week. There'll be a post on the Twitter feed to get your questions in. Make sure you do that. Um, we will be That will be out next Friday. Baron, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I look forward to the mailbag coming back as well. I'll definitely have to give that one a listen when it's released. Good internal plug. I like it. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I think contractually obligated. Baron. I might even I might even send in the question. So I, I, I should get first preference on my questions. <laughs> Could be like Patch, where it, yeah. Whereas every time Patch asked a question we had we, we had to uh, we had to answer it first. <laughs> no matter what the podcast theme was, no matter what the theme of the questions were, we always answered Patch's question first, no matter what it was, even if it was a little bit silly. Well I'll go second then if if Patch keeps sending in questions. I'm I'm happy to be number two. <laughs> All right, that's it, community. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.